along to Scoreline Extra, we had some jam-packed shows here at the weekend on KCLR, and this is where you get to catch up with the best of the interviews across Carl and Kilkenny's number one sports show with Scoreline Extra. Every weekend, we always discuss topics with local names, take a unique look at everything that makes the sport you love tick. On this week's edition, we hear from Kilkenny manager Brian Cody ahead of his side's All-Ireland final meeting with Limerick. Paddy Deegan described how players prepare for the biggest day of the year. Kilkenny GEA chairman Jimmy Walsh gives a breakdown on what will be happening across the county in the run-up to the decider. Former Limerick captain James Ryan gives the lowdown from Shannon's side as they go in search of their third consecutive title. Carlo and Palatine official Paul O'Dwyer chats about the honour of being appointed linesman at that final. Frank Ryan, the man behind the Chalchin Cup's unofficial Twitter account, looks back on the inaugural season for the competition. Kilkenny football manager Christy Walsh described a busy weekend for the Cats footballers, which ended in an All-Ireland final victory. So congratulations there. Joe Sheen gives an expert view on all things Greyhound racing. The Sunday Independence Mark Thai gives the latest update on the workings of former FAI Chief Executive John Delaney. He's the co-author of Champagne Football. Owen Roach of the GEA performance process delves into the analytical side of Gaelic games. We're going to start, though, with all things Kilkenny. This is Kilkenny manager Brian Cody. I'm here with Brian Cody, Kilkenny GA manager, ahead of Kilkenny's All-Ireland final with Limerick. Brian, how much are you looking forward to the game now? I think everybody is looking forward to the game, of course. You know, obviously, all players and ourselves involved. I suppose not even so much looking forward to it as getting ready for it, really, you know, preparing for it and making sure we're, we're trying to make sure that we get everything right for the day. I'm sure the whole county is look, always looks forward to it, to an All-Ireland final. And how, how do preparations go now that there is maybe a, a quicker turnaround than usually you would have expected in the past or would have you been used to in the past, I should say? Do preparations change in that sense? Yeah, well, it is different. It's a very, very tight frame now, you know. We played a semi-final just last weekend and suddenly, you know, once this week is over, we're into the All-Ireland, sem- All-Ireland final week. So that, that puts a lot of pressure, probably more so on county board officials and all of that to ensure all the things, various things that are part and parcel of All-Ireland final day and All-Ireland final time are... are put in place in that and they're working very very hard to do that and as regards um, ourselves and the players it curta- there's very little curtail training can be done we meet come together obviously but from the whole point of view of any kind of tough hard training there's not time for it really Yeah you mentioned there, there isn't enough time for tough hard training was that key to the performance against Clare do you think there was that four week block that you spoke about quite a bit in the aftermath of that game Have you, was that crucial in terms of using that to the absolute best that you could to get the players ready for not just a semi-final but potentially a final now and that they are fine-tuned for that game Yeah I know it's uh, for certain it was important you know um like because prior to that it was just week on week almost you know and obviously you can't do any kind of real training for that so um, that gave us four weeks we had a, we could we could use the first week to recover from the game and that and, re- and, and, and get ready and then give you two really really good strong weeks for training uh, and then after that you had a week of the game so it was it was a huge help to say I'd say for sure yeah yeah and that performance against Clare is probably I think you'd admit to the best of the championships so far did you see that coming as good as it was because it really was a new level possibly the best performance we've seen from Kenny in championships since maybe the same stage three years ago and against Limerick did you see that coming from the train that you had spotted well I knew the preparation was good and I knew farm and training was good and I knew the attitude of the players was top class you can never presume what's going to happen or, or be sure about what's going to happen but um, I, I was certain that we were going to be very very competitive and that's the first thing you have to try and be so we've heard that and the players then they just grew in confidence I suppose and they really they put a very, very good performance together, there's no doubt about that. 
and the performance, like you say, was incredibly good. But something that a lot of people spotted was maybe the mixture in play between going long and going short. Is that something that you spoke to? We know Paddy Deegan, when we spoke to him a little earlier on, mentioned that you have to adapt to the, the kind of things in the modern game. Is that something that you spoke to the players about, maybe the ability to go long at times, but also to use the ball in the short passing sort of style of play? Yeah, it probably was um, probably very, very prominent last day. But I think it's been something that has been the players have been doing, you know, over the past you know couple of years even, and maybe hasn't been highlighted as much because maybe we didn't because of the very, very strong performance last weekend was was more spoken about. But the players are very, very much aware. Like the game has evolved and is evolving, and you have to adapt most, most definitely to what's being put in front of you. And the players have the skill level to do that. And obviously you've been in situ you know, 24 years at this stage, an incredible 17 dollar in final appearance coming up. How has the game evolved as you've seen it and how have the demands changed for players and for management alike? Well the players, I mean various, like I said, there's an awful lot of short ball being played, you have sweepers being brought into the, into the game, you've got positions kind of, kind of very much possibly even go to window in various stages of the game because you know, it's not a question of you line out your position and you mark your man, that's... that's it, it happens because it has to happen because you have to mark a man but there's a very very much uh, kind of a, a very very flux for a situation where people can come and go and move around but the basics of the game too haven't changed it's still a game of, of, of skill obviously but great work rate and intensity and attitude and physicality and pace all those things are part and parcel of it so um, that's, that's the way it has been and we had to just I mean, we'd be very, very foolish if it's happening in front of our eyes. You can't close your eyes and say, "Look, we have our own way of doing it, so we're going to do it our way to hell with it." If you keep doing that, you'll be very, you'll be very unsuccessful for a long time. So, I mean, we have to try and do whatever has to be done. And there's a lot of players involved in the panel now. Your own club man, uh, Keen Kenny, is one of them that hasn't played in an All Ireland Senior Hurling Championship final before. With those players especially, will you take a more individual approach towards and maybe chat to them what demands are ahead of the final and what final event is like? Or do you just kind of speak to the team collectively and let them get on with it themselves in, in a sense? I know, look, in both of those things have to happen, like collective, collective stuff has to happen, but very, very much has to be very, very conscious of all the individuals. And some individuals need different things to other individuals, and it's about getting to know them and that. And some players will carry on grand, it's OK, and Iron Fine, let's go and play it. Other players maybe will need a bit of, um, a bit of um, I suppose, just a few messages about the things that can happen and all the rest of it. But it's, again, it's, it's a question of, it's not just me, but the management team and, and the people in the backroom team all contribute to that. And just a word in the fellas' ear is very, very important at all times. And we spoke a bit about how the game's changed tactically and how it's evolved since you've been in charge of Kilkenny. But from a man management perspective, not just you, but as you mentioned, your backroom team as well is so crucial. Has that changed over the last kind of 10, 15 years too in the way you have to deal with players on an individual and more of a kind of a team basis? I suppose to an extent it has, yeah, but I mean, at the end of the day, the big thing I always think that players, I would always encourage them just to be themselves, you know, and you, you come in and don't try and suddenly become a different person because you're on the Kenny Hurling team, and be yourself, bring your own personality to it, and it's up to us then to kind of read our body language and see them, and if, you know, some people might, like I said, need a word in their ear about something, or need, I mean, they all have their own... Um, kind of um, live to live as well and pressures maybe or some people may be under pressure of various things like any kind of a job you know and, and it's the duty of management and people involved to ensure that um, that they're looked after in every single way and you said there that the players have their lives to live of course you have your lives to live as well um, is there a way that you unwind ahead of this I suppose it's become almost an element of routine to it now that you are heading into your 17th Ireland. Do you do you have a way of unwinding because it is an incredibly stressful time for yourself 
I don't find it stressful to be honest you know I mean I, I, I unwind as I walk around the place you know I, I, I think I'm usually unwound anyway you know so match day I might look on, excited on the side or whatever or maybe not I don't know but um, I, I don't get I don't get um, particularly um, tense or, or, or stressed out about it at all I just um, it's something we do and if I did I'd better off not to be doing it to be fair about it like you know and I, the, the training sessions are, are, are really enjoyable the players love them and we love them because you have lads coming and giving just everything to it and taking on the challenge there to try and win a place in the team and it's great to be involved in a thing like that so um, no I don't get I don't get too, too, too excited about it of course Limerick people will be getting excited too they're the opposition come Sunday week in the All-Ireland final how tough, an oppos- how tough a team will they be to take on because of course they are going for their four and five years maybe reminiscent of the great teams that you managed in the 2000s I looked at the top team, but the best team in the country. There's no doubt about that. You know, champions for the last two years, going for three in a row. They have everything that's required to be a top team. They have massive experience now, obviously, but they have skill, they have physicality, they have power. They have a huge um, belief in themselves and a huge team work, a team ethic. All of them together, they they don't play. They play for each other all the time, and they're huge opposition. And every other, every, all the other, anybody who's taken them on over the past couple of years in championship matches have failed to beat them. We would be not expected to be in this other in final. I mean, I, I understand that and, and I know that. So the chances of us beating them in most people's minds would be very, very low. But like that's the challenge we're facing, that's the challenge we're going to take on. And like I would always have just an absolute belief in our players and their ability to go on and do whatever has to be done. But that remains to be seen, obviously. You said there that maybe you will be going in as underdogs in most people's eyes ahead of the final. Do you speak about that with the players? Maybe use it as a motivational factor, or do you just kind of get on with your own thing? And like you say, there's a huge belief not just from yourself, but within the entire panel that they can go on and beat Limerick like they did three years ago, of course. Yeah, well, I mean the players. I mean they they know that we're underdogs, and, and I mean and that they understand the enormity of the task because it, it is it is enormous, like you know, and that's that's the reality of it. And but I mean at the end of the day, it's not about. Were we favourites? That wouldn't change anything either. We go out, you take on the challenge. The game will be played out on Sunday week in Crow Park, and everything else goes out the window. What people thought or what people did beforehand or or, or afterwards or anything else doesn't come into it. So what happens by that? Seventy-four or five minutes is taking place. And you are actually the only manager that has a better record in championship against John Kiley. I know you don't want to speak maybe too much about the individual management side of things, but. Does the, the performance three years ago, which was just itching every Kilkenny supporter's memory, does that come into it all? I know when we spoke to Paddy Dean, he said there's not much about that to talk, really. But do, do you kind of harp back to that when you're speaking to the players, saying that you've done it before, you can do it again, or is this kind of a new panel three years later? It's pretty much, there's a lot of the players who are playing then or not playing now. You know, and some of the players who are playing now obviously weren't playing then, you know. So, I mean, it, it doesn't it doesn't have any um, influence on the game at all, really. I mean, if anything, it could be... Motivating factor for for Limerick, but it's certainly that it, it isn't something that we 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 get any benefit from. And and finally, Brian, how excited are you personally going into another All Ireland final? Does that kind of passion remain from the first one in '99 all the way on to now? I uh, look, it's where we want to be. It's where everybody wants to be. The start of the year to get to the to get to the final. Um, it's not excitement. It's it's just um, total focus on where we're going. And like I said, if we could win that game the excitement would happen in our right for sure well Brian Cody the very best luck in the All-Iron final against Limerick and thanks very much for speaking to us today from manager to player it's now Paddy Deegan's time to have a discussion about the lead up to the All-Iron final oh um 
I'm here with Kilkenny player Paddy Deegan ahead of Kilkenny's all Ireland final with Limerick on Sunday. Paddy, how much are you looking forward to the game now? Yeah, looking forward to it. Um, look, it's not it's not too much of a break, so it's um, it's good. Now we're we're looking forward to it, yeah. And how much of a tough challenge will Limerick pose? Oh, yeah, it'll be a big challenge. Look, they're I suppose they're they're a very good team. They're playing very well. Um, they've won the last three out of four All Ireland, so look, it's going to be a massive challenge. But um, one we're looking forward to. Does preparation differ for this All Ireland, considering there is such a quick turnaround? It is only two weeks, um, which is a bit different to the last couple of years, I suppose. Does it make preparation a bit different for players and management alike? Do you think, or is it just similarly to the last few years? I know. Look, uh, I suppose the management team um, they'll they'll put in place a, a training schedule that'll that'll suit us and have us fresh going in. And our physical trainer Mickey Comfort has done well with us there um, the last few years. And look, he's going to have us hopefully um, fresh out now and in 10 days time and the performance against Clare more so than the result really caught the eye I think of not just the Kilkenny public but the wider public in general is it fair to say that was your best performance of the year and was that coming a long while do you feel that you were really brewing for a performance like that when come knockout hurling in championship time uh, I suppose yeah look it was a very good performance um, there's obviously aspects of it that we need to work on as well um, but like you said look it was it was very good we were very happy with it and I suppose it's just about putting our heads down now for the next, the next 10 days and making sure that that, that that standard doesn't drop Is the feeling that the standard doesn't have to drop or do you have to raise it again considering you are playing a team who have been dominant in recent years they're going for their fourth all Ireland in five years do you think you have to go up another level or is it just about maintaining that level which was incredibly strong against Clare of course I know. I suppose the way you look at it is, if you if you if you set a standard, um, you should always you should always look to 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 go above that again the next time you go out. So, look, it's we're going to have to up it up it again. Um, coming up against Limerick, who were obviously performing very well and have had two very tough games there the last two games. Of course, the finalists are Limerick that you come up against in recent years. Back in 2019, everyone will remember that semi-final victory. Do you think results like that play any part going into a game, maybe in the mindset of either side, or is it just a straight-up game and you have to play it on your own merits? I suppose I can only speak for ourselves, but um, no, look, we're, we're, we're looking forward to this game. Um, we'll obviously look back on, on previous games as well, but we won't be spending too much time. We'll be focusing on ourselves now for the next, the next 10 days and just looking forward to this, this match against Limerick. And preparation-wise, you mentioned there, maybe you don't focus too much on Limerick. Will there be much talk within the camp about what Limerick do, how to counteract that? Or is it going to be like maybe other championship games where you just completely concentrate on yourselves and play your own game, you know, then you'll be good enough to get the win? I know you always have to look at the opposition you're playing and um, I suppose look at uh, at their strengths and, and see how you can how, how you can uh, come up against that. So look, you'll obviously be focusing on them, but obviously the focus will be, be, be on yourselves as well. And the occasion itself, it's incredible. It's the first time there'll be a full house in the All Ireland final since 2019. Um, is any of that kind of does that raise the nerves, maybe, or or is there a sense that you just get on with the game in hand? And like manager Brian Cody said, you just have to play the game. Ultimately, however many people are there, whatever occasion it is, that is just a game in itself, and the best team will win on the day. And uh, look, you said it. Um, it is it is just a game, and once you cross those those four white lines, you're just going to have to you're going to have to play what's in front of you. Um, I suppose you're going to have to try and just put the crowd to one side and um, try and focus on your own game. And your style of play has been a lot of talk this year about maybe your ability to mix it up between going long and traditionally that's what Kilkenny would do, of course, and going short, which was really evident in the win against Clare. Is that something that you've worked on all throughout this year and maybe even further back, and has it really come to fruition this year? Yeah, I suppose look over the last few years the game has totally changed uh, in terms of how the, the ball is being used. So look we've had to we've had to adapt and I think we're doing it we're doing it very well at the moment.
And as a player, is that something that you really have to take note of, that the fact that the game has evolved, you have to adapt to that style of play, rather than maybe going back to the traditionally 10, 15 years ago, where, there, where it was a lot more direct in Route 1? Yeah, look, I suppose that's the same in any sport. Um, it's changing the whole time, and look, it's it's up to it's up to the different teams and individuals to make sure that they're they're able to adapt to what's what's going on. And just looking beyond the actual All Ireland itself, Paddy, of course, it's in it is in the middle of July, which is very strange for all of our listeners. Uh, you'll be going back into the club straight after that. Did, are you actually in in favour of an All Ireland in July to allow for maybe better conditions for club hurling, or do you think it should go back to the traditional route? Yeah, no, look, I, I have no problem with it at all. I suppose it gives lads an opportunity, I suppose club lads an opportunity to, to plan to plan ahead and to kind of plan their summers or whatever. Um, so I think it's I think it's a it's a good setup at the moment. Well, Paddy Deegan, it's great catching up with you today and the very best luck in the All-Ireland Cheers. Final. Cheers, thanks. Kilkenny GEA chairman Jimmy Walsh will be giving us a breakdown right about now on what's happening across the county in the run-up to the decider. I'm here with Kilkenny GA chairman Jimmy Walsh ahead of Sunday's All Ireland final between Kilkenny and Limerick. Jimmy, how much is everyone looking forward to it now in Kilkenny GA? Oh, I think it's absolutely fabulous. Uh, it's a great achievement to be there. I think it has um, lifted the whole county, every parish, every Kilkenny man at home and abroad. Uh, it's the place to be. We want to be. It used to be the first Sunday, Sunday of September. Now it's in the middle of July. So it's, I, don't know, I suppose, it's heaven in a way for every Kilkenny supporter. And how great is it to be back after three years, of course, a full house at that time? last two years, Kilkenny hadn't been involved, but there was limited crowd capacity due to the pandemic. And now to be back again after three years as a county with a full house at Crow Park, it's an exciting time if you're a Kilkenny hurling supporter, isn't it? It is. It's absolutely, uh, sure. We live hurling um, day and night in Kilkenny. We didn't get the opportunity during COVID. And um, it's great to get back out to meet people, to reminisce, to see how the players are going, look at the new stars coming up. I, I think everyone is really enjoying it. And for yourself as chairman, how much are you looking forward to it? Obviously, it's a very busy time for you. But just to be chairman of Kilkenny GA while they're heading into the biggest day of the year, it's, it's, it's great for yourself too, isn't it? Yes, yeah, it's a huge honour to be a chairman of an organisation like this. Uh, it's really a community-based organisation, but we have a fabulous team of volunteers. Um, we are all volunteers in Kilkenny. Uh, you saw it last Sunday, uh, 20,000 people in UPMC in Nolan Park, probably 250 stewards working there, all giving their time for Kilkenny Hall and all back in the clubs the following Monday. Uh, train players to wear the black and amber so it, it's a huge um, achievement for Kilkenny and uh, for the people of Kilkenny Is it an achievement in itself obviously it's the team and the management team that's the, it's their main achievement but also for the volunteers like you mentioned and just for hurling people in general across the county that they do develop these youngsters and eventually they become the players that we see talking out for Kilkenny in all Ireland finals and without them really there maybe would be no all Ireland final too Oh, you're absolutely true yeah we, we all love going to a juvenile match or a schools match and looking at who the next star might be and picking them up and uh, the people just do all the work that bring the players up along the line like I suppose one of the huge things this year was uh, our management uh, teams as uh, under 20 at minor and as senior went back out to the clubs and the held trials and uh, it gave a new initiative and it gave a new uh, it gave a lift to Holland in the county and then that came through we saw new faces come onto the under 20 team um, most important game of the year that I saw from the beginning uh, in Tullamore against Galway Galway were having a um, a run on is at minor level and under 20 level and that was a huge occasion we had people came through it onto that team that weren't even on minor teams and it's it's um, like once you catch a hurling in Kilkenny you can play hurling for Kilkenny at any stage 
and how much work has is involved in preparing for an All Ireland final? There's so much stuff goes on between the minute you win the semi final and eventually throwing come Sunday. There, a lot goes on behind the scenes, doesn't it? There does, yeah. But sure, we in the way we've been blessed. Uh, as I said, they're all volunteers. But we had a meeting uh, straight after the match in Dublin with our Dublin Sports Club and the Kilkenny Sports Club on Sunday. And uh, we have a template probably going back for the last 20 years and it's been tweaked and changed along the way. But we have a template that we can work on. Where we have today, we have the press, we have the golf on Tuesday, we have the corporate night on Wednesday and we're looking for other alternatives. We have the Dublin Sports Club are working away. They have a target of fundraising and uh, the Kilkenny Sports Club are working away. So uh, everyone is in it together. Uh, we know the plan um, as regards tickets, the tickets... Uh, Connor's leading and Caroline the officer leading the team and distributing the tickets to get them out to the clubs early the clubs look after their regular supporters and members and uh, we are blessed in Kilkenny that we've been in this position so many times since 1999 or 2000 and we have a really strong management team under Brian Cody and the principals are there we went through Covid you had Tyg, uh, Dr Tyg and um, he was able to put in a system that managed Covid and, and we really benefited from that as well so it's, it's a huge team effort, there's so many people at so many levels, clubs, schools secondary schools, primary schools uh, working away for Kilkenny and we all know from the time you're born all you want to do is catch a hurley or you're given a hurley and then all you want to do is wear a club jersey and when you get the club jersey the ambition is to wear a county jersey and you mentioned a lot of things that are happening between now and the all Ireland final. If people do want to get in touch with Kilkenny GA to get involved in that, what's the best way to do so? Yeah, uh, well, the first thing I will say is every officer in Kilkenny is available to take any call, any time, day or night. Um, our golf classic is on Gordon on Tuesday. It's up on our website. You can book a team. The corporate night is on in Langton's on Wednesday. The tables are 1,200 euros for a table of 10. Uh, we have limited capacity, but... Um, we're most welcome for anyone to support us in any way. Then we have um, the county, the draw that takes place on county final day. That's been put in place and there's tickets there for um, a tenor. Uh, very huge prizes. And uh, every, I suppose every cent, every penny, every pound that comes in, whatever you want to call it, every euro that comes into the coffers in Kilkenny goes to support Kilkenny Hurland. So um, we'd appeal to all the supporters to to rolling behind us at this stage plenty of options and any new ideas are greatly appreciated and of course you are the chairman but you're also a Kilkenny supporter first and foremost are you looking forward to the game now a bit of trepidation um, how do you see it going I'm always looking forward to Kilkenny games uh, I was blessed as I was born um, a half mile from um, Tipperary border every morning I look out sleeping the man is out there and uh, it just gets you into the groove from a very early age and sure every conversation is is, is hurling and and uh, i'm really looking for uh, yeah i'm really looking forward to them well jimmy Wallace, thanks very much for speaking to us today and the best luck with everything ahead of the all Ireland final thanks it's a pleasure thank you best luck to you too. heading shannon side now for james ryan the former limerick captain are they a bit nervous Now on Scoreline, I'm joined by former Limerick captain James Ryan to get the view from the Treaty County ahead of the All-Iron final between Limerick and Kilkenny. James, thanks very much for speaking to me today. Oh, God, Robbie, thanks very much for having me. Uh, very much appreciate it. No problem at all, James. Great speaking with you. What is the view from Limerick ahead of this one, James? Yeah, um, we've been saying it all year, Robbie, I suppose. Um, you probably know yourselves, it's very hard not to be getting into that borderline of being cocky about matches. Um, 
go for three in a row, you we were kind of at all neutral in twenty eighteen, hadn't won all our forty odd years, whatever. Uh, we used to be kind of going up in hope and expectation and then that hope ex- expectation turned into I suppose a bit of confidence but there's no doubt about it that we have become a little bit cocky as in we've very few matches we've lost since 2018 and obviously the 2019 All-Ireland semi-final against Kilkenny being the main one but I don't think there's too many limited people going up to Cork Park for the All-Ireland final cocky and that I think respects uh, the way Kilkenny are playing and the tradition they have is that just purely down to Kilkenny, maybe? You think back to 17, obviously, at the start of the John Kiley reign, Kilkenny bet them in a qualifier in Nolan Park. That was a very young Limerick team at that stage. But as you mentioned, the 19 semi-final was the one that probably still sticks in the craw for Limerick supporters and the team because Kilkenny are the only team, maybe, to defeat Limerick at the peak of their kind of championship level. Is that the reason why maybe there's not as much, to use the word you use, cockiness ahead of this one? Yeah, look... Uh I suppose it's a thing Kilkenny might know about it or whatever, but the thing around the whole country, I suppose, is Kilkenny are the level. Kilkenny are the standard. I suppose you can compare that to Dublin and Kerry in football. The Kilkenny can just come out and play at the level, and it's up to you to match that level. And I suppose Limerick have brought that trait on since 2018, obviously going for three in a row, that Limerick are playing at the level. It's amazing that Limerick and Kilkenny haven't met much since that 2019 All-Ireland semi-final. The feeling around is that if the game went on a little bit longer, maybe Limerick being the younger team, they might have maybe maybe caught it at the end, maybe went to point two ahead. But Kilkenny were well worth their win. I think uh, since 2018, that 2019, first 20 minutes that Killing brought, that intensity, their tackle count, their accuracy, just breaking ball, everything around hurling the game, they brought it for that 20 minutes and they absolutely polarised Limerick. Limerick didn't have an answer to it. So... I suppose bringing it on to the All-Ireland final next week, um, I think Limerick people are a little bit worried where Kilkenny are going. I think they kind of struggled away through the Leinster Championship, got their wins that they need to win, but um, I think the way they played against Clare, the way they put Clare away, um, I know Clare didn't probably perform to the best of their abilities, but it was way Kilkenny. And obviously they highlighted on the Sunday game and things like that, but it's obvious for anyone who knows anything about Hurland, the way Kilkenny are mixing it between long and short, they're starting to play the ball through the lines and they can... They're probably the only team in the country as well that can just play a long ball out of nowhere and it can be one inside and laid off to one of the runners. So, look, Kilkenny had a standard and I was very dangerous in Limerick. Even though they're winning a bit lately, I know fools and they know that. Is there a sort of feeling in Limerick too? It would be interesting to get your your view from here, James, because obviously we're in Kilkenny. We don't know what, what the kind of thought process is down um, on Shannon's side at the moment. But is there a feeling that, you know, you think about going into the final stretch against Clare, Limerick probably mentally as much as anything had the better of Clare. Likewise against Galway, you do question whether those teams had the mental strength to get the better of, you know, such a dominant Limerick side. Is there a feeling maybe Kilkenny won't have that mental fragility that they'll, you know, if, if it is even going down the stretch, they'll fancy their chances? Probably I can guarantee you one thing, it has come from a Limerick man. Kilkenny will never be found wanting from a mental point of view. Um, at the end of the day, if you break the whole thing down, I think you're dead right. I think winning creates that. I think Limerick winning 2018 and now going for three in a row, I think any team that has a lot of success knows that there's a mental thing there. The other team are trying to beat the champions. They have to be that 10, 20% better. So there's no doubt about it. But even though Limerick are going for this three in a row and maybe four and five years old, Kilkenny are still winning. They're still, they've three Linsmers in a row won. I know they brought the heart of losing the last two All-Ireland semi-finals through, but there's a lot of All-Ireland medals on that Kilkenny team still. They know how to win games. They know how to go down the home stretch. They know how to play with the intensity, the high tackle count, 
everything, the breaking the ball, all them things for the whole 70 minutes. So Kilkenny will never be found wanting, and I don't think any team in the country would uh, underestimate Kilkenny's resolve mentally anyway, because that's one thing that they bring to the table every time. And I suppose that is the big talk around Limerick that, and I mean this in the nicest way and respect towards Cork, but Cork rolled over in the All-Ireland final last year and everyone in the county do, and, and even the country know that Kilkenny aren't going up to Cork Park to roll over. And just, just to speak about Limerick in a broader sense, just to kind of get that sort of um, point of view from Limerick, because obviously us here in Kilkenny wouldn't get that as much. Likewise, I'm sure you don't know how we're thinking of Kilkenny an awful lot. In the middle of the Kilkenny, the period of dominance from 06 to 09, I suppose, that, that historic four in a row, a lot of the talk, not from the players or management, of course, but from some supporters was, you know, we could create history here. Limerick are probably the closest team we've seen to that Kilkenny side since um, since they hit their peak. What is the talk amongst Limerick supporters? Is it that we could re- do something that no team has ever done before? Is it just about, are they a bit calm themselves in the sense that they just take it, you know, one game at a time? Or is there sort of that excitement that we have an incredible bunch of players here and we're never going to get this opportunity for maybe a generation or two to do something truly historical? Yeah, there's two sides to that, Robbie. I suppose the supporters and the fans and all that, and that's what we are. Um, they've actually wrote their own history. They've been the most successful Limerick team that we've ever had. So um, they've, they've really tore up that script and I think we're in bonus territory here as fans and that. But I think from a player's point of view, um, they're winners, they have a winner mentality, they follow a lot of sports psychology and all this. I suppose they do want to write their own history. Um, that's why they're still hungry, that's why they're back in the final this year. And there's definitely, I suppose every team needs something, you need a, a goal to get to, whether it be long-term shots some goals. And they're in a position at the moment that I'm sure it's been trash down the dressing room that you can write your own history here you can go for them kind of things like five in a row and that and you have to come out with them kind of things to keep players hungry and I suppose given their age profile a lot of these players are still only in their mid-twenties a lot of these kind of talks about five in a row four in a row and all that kind of talk it is well within their possibilities but they are still in the mind frame of a short term goal of next game we need to perform the next game all them four in a row five in a row throughout the window if you don't approach the next game with the right mentality. So, I suppose to answer your question, as a fan, we're in bonus territory, but as players, they're probably looking to write wrong. And is there a worry at all, um, just looking at, looking at it from a broader point of view again, Limerick were so dominant last year. I know you mentioned Cork rolled over, but the performances, particularly the second half in the Munster final, the semi-final against Waterford, and the final itself against Cork, were like nothing we have seen since. Not to bring it back up again, but probably the dominant side that Brian Cody had with Kilkenny in terms of just marauding to an all-earned. It was re- truly incredible to watch as a neutral. Is there a sense that maybe they have been drawn back in towards the pack a bit more, that they still are the best, but that teams can get at them, particularly after the Munster final and the All-Ireland semi-final? Because, as I mentioned, those two games last year weren't very close at all, whereas this year maybe, you know, the likes of Clare and Galway, and hopefully from our point of view, Kilkenny are a bit closer to Limerick. Is that the kind of consensus um, in Limerick at the moment? It's kind of a, it's kind of mixed thought, um People around Limerick, um, a lot of times think that oh, every team is raising their game against Limerick. I think, again, anyone who knows anything about sport and about hurling knows that uh, teams are catching up. Yes, they are probably they were the best team in the country the last two, three years, but teams are catching up tactically as well. Like, if you look at that continuous team in the north, he's there, 69, as we're talking about there. They kind of went man to man. You had to, be, you had to have beat them in 13 positions to beat them, and that kind of thing. Whereas this Limerick team, it, uh, as, as good as they are, their skill levels and the whole athletic conditioning, 
still that tactics, the way they set up and the way they play the ball has won them a lot of games. But I even saw through the league this year, I saw Wexford, I saw Cork, I saw Galway come down and they were doing different things in the league between defending puck outs, what way they set up, and men markers, all this kind of thing. So even though Limerick are still a bit ahead, it's more teams catching up to them tactically than Limerick coming back. And I think that's what's making the thing so um, interesting even as I said already, Kiltini have definitely changed their game the last couple of years, where they're playing the, the odd ball out, playing the ball through defence and didn't let the long ball in and stuff. So teams are definitely, Limerick have definitely changed the way Holland's been played at the moment. I suppose that long as the evolutionised and Limerick have changed the last couple of years. But teams are catching up tactically. They're following men around the field and things like that. And uh, I just think teams are catching up. And I, uh, even the way the last day, Galway were conceded the puck out to the Limerick's full back line and playing it back and they got a lot of success from it so look team stats management should be all these man inter-county teams with so much management there's a reason for them they're all doing their job and everybody's analysing Limerick to, to the last I suppose any winning team and that's why teams are catching up and you mentioned that, and obviously everyone can see with their own eyes that this is such an historic period for Limerick hurling, going for an you know a remarkable Fort Hall earned in five years. This hasn't been done not just in Limerick, but for m- most counties really that they, they don't ever get to this level. Um, what's the one key thing you mentioned? There's a number of factors there. What's the one key thing you see with this Limerick side that puts them above the rest? Is is it their physicality levels, which really are unmatched if we're being honest? Is it that sort of ability to play short better than anyone else, or do you think it's kind of a number of different things that they just do? slightly better or even a lot better than other counties yeah like um, it's a bit like again everyone to be talking about that 06 team that went for four in a row and if you go through that team um, like they're all big men Henry Shefflin Jackie Tarl you could name Brian Hogan they're all exceptionally big men now they don't understand the conditioning and that helps as well and I think the Limerick team at the moment as you said they're an exceptionally big team and then they have obviously their strength and conditioning team done so they're physically very hard to take on uh, when you when two or three of them get around, it's very hard to find space to get away from all that. But definitely, what 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 separates them from other Limerick teams anyway, apart from anything, is their skill levels. Um, and I think I think, and I give Kilkenny the best respect about this. Well, when they were winning four in a row and they went back and won two in a row and things like that, nobody ever talked about the pace that in the panel, and nobody talked about their striking and skills. Everyone was just talking about their physicality. Yeah. And I find that a lot of people are talking about Limerick's physicality at the moment, but nobody's talking about the uh, their range of scores, they can score from any angle, they're good in the air, they can mix it in the ground. And I think, look, any team that wins in All-Ireland, they're definitely two in a row on that. They're just good in every aspect. And I think that's what makes a good team a great team, is that they're very hard to find a kink in their armour and things like that. And to be honest, I think it's going to be one hell of a battle in the All-Ireland final because both teams are well able to mix it physically. They both have good skill set and they're both going to be hungry to win. And looking back, looking forward, I should say, uh, to that all in final now, are there any key matchups individually, tactically, that you see are going to m- maybe decide the game for one, one team or another? Um, or are there any kind of tactical tweaks that you see happening for either sides? I'm going to be very interested to see. Um, we all know that Brian Cody kind of throws rabbit out of the hat there the odd time. Uh, where he's going to play TJ Reid. Like, I don't think Paul Flanagan knew he was going to be marking TJ Reid for so long in the all Ireland semi-final. And it's good. I suppose the big talking point is uh, whether he's going to play in the half-forward line or he's going to play inside the full-forward line. He's going to pick up someone. Um, I suppose the way Walter Welch is coming on and playing, uh, by God, he's looking very sharp. Is he going to start? And again, he can have mixed up the team so much this year. It's hard to know what starting 15 they're going to pick, no matter 
to mind what positions they're going to be in. So um, I think that's a great tactic. Out of Kilkenny, whether I mean it or not, I, I know Limerick do a lot of matchups and finding who's playing what and getting all that right. You don't know what Kilkenny team's going to play. Um, me personally, I just think Kilkenny are in a very good place when you see the likes of Walter Welch, Parag Welch and a few of these boys on the bench at times and coming on. That means things are going very well at training. It's been very competitive. He's playing whoever's on form. Um, the subs that are coming off, coming off the bench are champing off the base. And uh, I think some of the key players are coming sharp at the right time. So, um, yeah, look, to be honest, it's hard to mention any matchup, but I suppose the one I'm most interested in, I thought it was uh, maybe the win of the game in 19, is you Lawler on Aaron Glenn. If that matchup goes on again, it's going to be a tantalising affair, to be honest. Ulal is very good at playing. Maybe the Dak after the game, he, he nearly fouls, but he's so quick at getting his hands out again, he, he gets away with it, and that can frustrate Aaron Glenn. So if that matchup goes on, especially given Aaron Glenn's form at the moment, it's going to be very, very interesting. But look, as I said, all over the field, it's going to be an interesting matchup everywhere. And James, if Limerick were to win this All-Ireland, where would it rank among the, the four and five years? Because it would be the first time, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe 2018 possibly was, where you've defeated the big three, I suppose, in Tipperary, Cork and Kilkenny. And also you defeated Clare in the Munster final and also Waterford. So you've beaten the best counties and Galway, of course, in the semi-final, I should mention too. You've beaten the absolute best counties, not just historically, but right as of right now, um, leading into an All-Ireland without ever really reaching your best. But would it be the absolute kind of the best All-Ireland so far or where do you think it would rank? Yeah, I say this with absolute respect to the county and I'm very conscious of who I'm talking to, but it's it's always nice to be Kilkenny given their tradition, given what they are, given what they represent you know, an All Ireland final and they've they've never done it, you know. So and the other thing as well is uh we bother a few counties there, Clare and Tipperary, um and Cork a bit as well and they're all telling us that we they'll they'll give us twenty eighteen but they tell us the other two are only COVID All Ireland, you know, just to give us a bit of a slag and stuff. So, <laughs> be nice to be nice to maybe win this one just to keep to keep the old neighbours quiet in, in in that respect. But um no look as you said it'd be a very sweet um, All Ireland and look I suppose for the players as well and the whole lot um, yeah well used to it up there but 2018 was a massive homecoming and all that and a lot, they missed an awful lot of the All Ireland celebrations with them two COVID All Ireland it just wasn't the same and even the attendance and the whole lot so I don't know there's just something a lot sweeter about this one even though they're going for three in a row I think this one would be more special than the other two for just COVID and all them kind of different reasons you know and finally, James, before I let you go, how do you see the game panning out? I know you mentioned that it's going to be a, a really good battle. Do, do you see Limerick just about edging it due to their experience over the last couple of years, or do you think Kilkenny could maybe pull it out of fire? Yeah, as I said already, um, you just know that Kilkenny aren't going to just die away in the last 10 minutes or anything like that. Um, I see it being very, very close. I'm a little bit nervy about it now, to be honest. Um, Look, Limerick have a couple of injuries and it's starting to maybe take their toll and teams are getting closer, as you said. But look, I suppose I'm saying it as much in hope as expectation more than anything, maybe my heart over my head. But I think Limerick might just pip it just given their age profile and things like that. But I think it's going right down the line. I wouldn't be surprised if this thing goes to extra time or whatever way it could end up. It just could be a, a game for the ages, to be honest. Well, James, we're certainly looking forward to it. We hope you enjoy the match, but hopefully you don't enjoy the result too much come full-time in the All-Ireland Final. And thanks very much for speaking to us today. That was a great, great chat. Uh, no, look, thanks very much for having me. Very much appreciated. And obviously, look, best to look to you as well and to the best team with Thanks very much. That was, of course, former Limerick captain James Ryan speaking to us today ahead of the All-Ireland Final, giving the view from Shannon's side ahead of what promises to be an absolutely mouth-watering affair between Kilkenny and Limerick on July 17th. Stick around here on Scoreline. 
It's not just two teams going head-to-head. -head. We're going to have some officials out on that pitch as well, and one of them is from Carlo. The Palatine man, Paul O'Dwyer, talks about the honour of being appointed linesman. Now on Scoreline, I'm delighted to be joined by Carlo official Paul O'Dwyer after he was appointed as a linesman for the All-Ireland Senior Hurling Championship final on July 17th between Kilkenny and Limerick. Paul, thanks very much for joining me on Scoreline today. No problem. Um, how much of an honour was it to be appointed to the team of officials for the All-Ireland final, Pod? Actually, it's huge. You know, it's great for the family and great for the club, you know, to be honoured that way. And and how does the process of being appointed for this game work? Is it, is it the same form of communication as it is for any other game? Or how does that process work specifically for an All-Ireland final? It's a little bit different for the All-Ireland. For, for every other game, you get a text asking for your availability so are you availability to ref X versus Y or are you available to do linesman for X versus Y well for the final it's the one call you get and you, you're asked and to, you're told you've been appointed and asked are you available so it's the one only time you get, a, you get a call about a game and what is the overriding emotion when you get that call that you are part of the team because for players and management it's, it's the biggest day of the year but of course for officials it is too uh, it's, it's a good feeling now Personally, I was hoping to be in the middle for it, so it was a slight sense of disappointment to not get the final to referee it itself. But just to be appointed on the line is, is a huge honour and it's a great feeling. Were you expecting that maybe that you would be the main referee? And when you get that call to be a linesman, is there an element of immense pride because you have made the pinnacle of the game from an official point of view, but also you know that maybe you could, you could have been the referee this year? Yeah, well, I knew my name was in the hat and I was certainly hoping. Uh, I kind of had a feeling there was uh, there was three of us involved, all right. And uh, but the guy that got a column lines was an excellent ref and a, and a very nice man. I'm delighted for him, and I'm just delighted to be involved. And not to linger on it too much, but do you think the fact that you are from Carlow, obviously it's a neighbour in the county of Kilkenny, would that be taken into consideration for people that maybe wouldn't be sure how the process is of appointing officials? It's not really, or it certainly shouldn't be but I don't believe it is taken into account like Callum Lyons is from Cork Cork is close enough to Limerick so it's not really yeah. taken into account to be honest and how does your preparation for the match work Paul do you get in touch with the referee Callum Lyons and the rest of the team on a number of occasions before the big day or what do you do what do you discuss with them ahead of the match yeah we'll be speaking on the phone a couple of times between now and then but we're also meeting up as a group of officials with the Croke Park Refereeing Committee next Tuesday up in Abbottstown where we'll go through a training session and then go through the details of the day and what's expected of us and go through some clips for review and just see how we can come up with any possible scenarios if certain things happen on the day and so on. You mentioned there the Crow Park Refereeing Committee. That's something a lot of our listeners um, wouldn't have maybe heard of before. Could you maybe go into further detail on what they do and how they help officials? Uh, there is a full-time games official manager up in Crow Park, uh, Donald Smith, who is in charge of all the, the National Hurling and Football League referees. Uh, and he would be our boss as such. So we would meet up with him every two to three weeks and he would go through stuff over the course of the year in relation to preparation, then in relation to reviews of games and uh, preparation for games ahead and so on. Um, any problems we'd ever had, he'd be in contact with us. 
and uh, it's him that will be in charge of us trying to progress us. On top of that, then there will be a committee itself who would be there at all our meetings, um, compiled of a person from each of the provinces, and they would have input then on certain things as well. And as a referee, we obviously, you know, managers of teams would speak to their players, how they're going to play in the game, the style of play that they want to um, impose on the opposition. Is that really important that you're speaking to Donal and the committee on, on as much as much as you possibly can to keep yourselves sharp as well? Because for referees, especially in the modern game, it, it is a game that you really need to be up to up to the pace of quite quickly, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, you're always looking for direction that way and Every year there seems to be a new rule or some rule change as well and that all has to be gone through and what's expected out of you and certain things each year might be focused on. For example, a hand pass was focused on a lot this year just to see can that be improved on and, and so on. And then you have the black card rule which was brought in over the last couple of years and stuff as well. So you'd always be seeking direction from them. And not to linger maybe on the rules as much, because I know you probably don't want to go into too much detail about it, but the hand pass, there was a lot of talk about that, particularly in the early stages of the league. How tough was that to officiate? Because even looking back on five, six, seven replays on the television afterwards, it looked almost impossible to say whether there had been a strike in action or not. So for a referee seeing it the first time, was that really difficult? It's extremely difficult, yeah. But what they had asked us from Croke Park was that unless we see a clear defined strike in action if we don't see it therefore it's not done so we should be blown for free you know it's not that if we didn't think it was right or so on but if we didn't see a clear defined strike in action therefore it's a free and that's what they wanted us to implement and that's very difficult in the speed of the game and if you don't get the right angle and you know if you're behind the player or so on so it, it wasn't easy but I think it has helped and improved a bit it certainly has a bit more to go yeah, it certainly has improved the game, I think, as a whole, to see kind of throwing the ball come out of it. Just before we move on from the, from the rules, Pod, uh, when there are rules like that, and they are incredibly tough to officiate, like you said, do you ever think as a referee, my God, I'm going to be on the, the wrong end of some criticism here, even though it's not my fault at all, I'm just applying the rules given to me? Or, or, or do you get frustrated when you see these new rules? Or how does that, how does that process kind of, of, of thinking go about um, when those new rules come out at the start of the year? Well... The reality of it is that we would not be um, part of the decision on what rules are or are not implemented. There's a, some rules committee up in Crow Park that make those decisions and then they pass them on to us for us to implement. So we don't really have a choice in what we do and don't want to do. We're given a set of rules and we have to implement whether we like them or not. Um, you know, it can be difficult knowing that some of them are going to be tough and controversial. But to get into this game, you know what's ahead of you. So as they say, when you enlist, you must soldier. Very true indeed. Um, going back to the All-Ireland, Paul, it is obviously such a monumental occasion in Irish sport every year. Do you get nervous before an All-Ireland final more so than you would for any other game? Or, or do you just take it in your stride that it is just a game of hurling at the end of the day? And there would be a small bit more nervous in that you know the whole of the country has their eyes on you for that game, more so than any other game in the year. So you just want to make sure that you get it right, you get your decisions right, and you don't want to be spoken about after the game. The biggest compliment for a referee when he's not mentioned. 
Yeah, and do you get a bit worried about making mistakes the bigger the game is, or, or do you just get on with the job at hand? Because like you said, there are decisions that I think people could think of off the top of their heads from all our finals, but similarly in, in maybe games of lesser importance, that may, there could have been possibly been worse decisions that people just cannot remember at all. So do you worry that there is that kind of sense of hyper-focus from the outside looking in on referees and their decisions on the game? Not really, because you can't uh, worry about external stuff like that yeah you just have to get on with what's in front of you uh, trust yourself trust have confidence in your ability and the lads that you're working with and uh, trust that you're doing something honestly and fairly and you're doing your best and no more you can do and we spoke to meet football referee david goff on our clash act, clash act podcast here on scoreline and he said that he gets incredibly frustrated when former players on the sunday game or, or on other platforms criticize referees because they're not experts in that field like you are of course when it comes to officiating would you share that sentiment that david kind of said on, on the podcast uh, or does it bother you when you hear criticism of referees from people that have never actually put on the, the refereeing kit before uh, no, I think all referees share that frustration because you have people speaking on radio, television, etc. And the reality is they do not know the rules. Yeah. Despite playing a game for 20, 30 years, they don't know all the rules and they presume some of them, especially any of the new rules that have come in lately or with the workings, for example, of Hawkeye and so on. They just don't get or want to know the exact rule of it and then criticise the referee if it doesn't agree with their opinion on what it should be. Like Last weekend, for example, the minor hurling final, uh, there was a red card in it correctly given by the referee with an awful lot of people calling for that it should have been a penalty. But it wasn't one of the penalty infractions. It wasn't inside the, the large parallelogram. So therefore it couldn't possibly, by rule, be a penalty but yet the referee was getting criticised by experts because he didn't give a penalty even though technically it definitely wasn't a penalty and with stuff like that like you say you know and, and you're an expert in that field you know that the, the correct decision was made but there's this massive outcry from people and maybe borderline on abuse particularly when it comes to social media for referees who are just volunteering like everyone associated with the GA is there frustration too not with just with the fact that you're getting criticism that is unjust but also that you're not given the opportunity to maybe defend yourself as much as players and pundits do get because they are given that platform to criticise referees uh, there would be a bit of frustration there right because no referee wants to come out and speak themselves because that would only open up a can of worms and you could never win in a situation like that. But on occasions, it would be nice for some form of a referee spokesman to not defend, but to come out and explain why a decision was made, why it was the correct decision, and how some people shouldn't be criticising because it was the correct decision. And, and moving on to what is going to be a great day for yourself and your family, Pod. Uh, for your own club Palatine and for Carlo GA in general it is such a proud moment like I said to have you involved in the biggest day on the GA calendar do you think about that at all ahead of the game that you are representing your club and Carlo GA on on such a monumental occasion like I said I would yeah um, I have the same set of umpires who have travelled around with me for the last dozen years or so and it's a, it's a like it's a proud day for, for them it's a proud day for the club and, and very much so for the family you know to be seen to be appointed to a position like that is just uh, it's 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 well regarded and very proud there.
And we spoke to one of the managers, Brian Cody, earlier in the week, and he said that he doesn't get excited ahead of the game. That's just total focus on preparing for you know the big game itself, and that you can't actually look forward to it. Is it similar for someone in, in your position as an official that you just have to kind of concentrate at the job at hand, and you can't actually look forward to what is you know a great great thing to be part of? Well, you certainly have to concentrate on the job ahead, but but there's also the sense of of anticipation and you know, excitement of what's going to be ahead of you, you know, but you do certainly have to focus on it and not get, let your head get distracted. Well, Paul, we wish you the very best of luck in the All-Ireland Final and congratulations once again on a wonderful achievement. No bother. Thank you very much. That was Carlo and Palatine man Paul O'Dwyer speaking to us about being named as a linesman for the All-Ireland Final between Kilkenny and Limerick. Don't go anywhere. Lots more still to come. <laughs> Moving on to football and the Chalchin Cup. This is Frank Ryan. Now on Scoreline, I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by Frank Ryan, who has done more than anyone else to help promote the Chalchin Cup online this year through his Twitter account, the Chalchin Cup. The final, of course, takes place tomorrow. I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by Frank on the line. Frank, how are you this evening? Hi Robbie, that's high praise. <laughs> Thanks very much. Deserved praise, Frank. Deserved praise. Um, before before we delve into the Talton Cup as a whole, Frank, we'll look ahead to the final itself. Is it fair to say that the two best teams are in it? I would say anyone looking at the at the at the teams that were involved from the outset could have said that Cavan and Westmead would have had their sights set and at least get into the final four, and if not, get into the final after the final itself. So very much uh, we've we've come down to the final pair that a lot of people would have predicted. Yeah. Is that worrying for you, Frank? Um, actually, that that maybe it has been a bit predictable, or or do you think um generally people are delighted with how the Talchin Cup has gone? Um, I think they've generally been delighted with how the competition has gone so far. I mean, Westmead and Cavan are two excellent sides. They had us put up against them in the semi-finals by Sligo and Offaly. Um, Offaly probably underperformed on the day. If they had brought a kind of a different level of performance, it could have been a different result and we could have a different finalist there. So I, I don't think it's been utterly predictable. So I think it's been a good kind of start uh, for the competition this year. I think most people would ad- agree with that um, sort of sentiment. Where can both sides get at each other in, in the final, Frank? Um, it was interesting. I managed to get to to the semi-finals in Croker, so I, I got to see both teams live, which was which was fantastic. Um, it was interesting to see how Sligo were able to carve open a number of goal opportunities against uh, against Cavan, which might be a concern for for Mickey Graham there. Um, so I was wondering, can Westmead make something of that? And um, they do have potent forwards inside to to create those opportunities, so that might be something. Uh, on the flip side, it'll be. Cavan are getting scores from all over the place, 17 different scores across their games in the Talton Cup so far. They've got quite a lot of players uh, that can get on the score sheet. It'll be difficult for, for Westmead to know where they're going to get a lot of their scores from. They can get it from anywhere. Um, so they'll be, they'll be hoping to kind of chip in a number of players across, across the field, across the team. And you mentioned there Westmead's potent forward line. Of course, maybe the main man in that forward line is John Heslin. He's on the verge of surpassing Desi Dolan's Westmead scoring record, which is just an incredible feat on his part. I think he's only one point behind um, what many would regard as the greatest footballer in the history of Westmead in the form of Desi Dolan. Is he the man Cavan have to stop if they're to have a chance... Yeah, I mean that's that's a that's an incredible stat. I spotted it on Twitter this morning that uh, that they're they're pretty much neck and neck, uh, Desi and and John Hessel there. Um, 
Uh, definitely, he he is the kind of talisman for this for this Westmead team. But that doesn't mean they're a one man team at all. And um, the likes of Sam McCartan, Luke Lachlan, Ronald O'Toole, they've got some some great players in there that can that can equally get in the score sheet around the middle. Then Raken Ellen's a big kind of is a big feature there too. Um, so they're not right by any means a one man team. John Heslin's obviously a very important player for Westmead, but it's not all down to him. Yeah, and for people that maybe wouldn't be unsure and are just going to tune into the Talton Cup for the first time um, for the final, who are the favourites heading into this one? Is there a clear favourite or is it a 50-50 game? And who do you actually expect to come out on top come full-time? I suppose in the eyes of most people, uh, Cavan would be the favourites given that they won Ulster in, in 2020, um, which was a, a fantastic a fantastic result for them. Um, I would pretty much say this is a, t- a toss of a coin uh, I-, I couldn't call it either way Westmead are desperately <laughs> unlucky to not get promoted from Division 3 and they'd have been disappointed with that Cavan obviously got promoted from Division 4 um, they've two sides with two fantastic footballers I-, I-, I would if I was to put, put my neck on the line I would give Westmead by, uh, by a point or two well, there you heard it here first, folks. If 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 Cavan win tomorrow, uh, Frank called it wrong, of course. Um, <laughs> it, it just uh, just on the Talton Cup generally, Frank. Obviously, you've been keeping a keen eye on it. Like I said, the coverage online uh, on your own part has really been great to see. Has it been a lot more successful than people hoped? Do you think? Um, I think it's been great for 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 kind of I suppose county thing in in, in a I suppose the second tier uh, to be getting the the spotlight and to be actually broadcast live on television a lot of coverage on GA Go I think it has been a success probably better than than most people would have thought um, it kind of did coming under the radar kind of mid May people didn't really know what the structure was didn't really know what way it was going to run and but I think it's people have really um, people have really bought into it that that's including teams that's including management that's including county supporters too. Um, I think it's been a great success and, and obviously the structure will change next year. Uh, the competition will move to a non-regionalised group format next year, um, which I think will, 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 will help it to go from strength to strength, really. And something that we've noticed here, obviously being Keen Carlo supporters, um, two great days, it must be said, against Tipperary and Netwatch Cullen Park, a great victory in the first round, and then unfortunately losing to Westmead, but an incredible performance by Niall Carew's side. I think it's kind of, I, I don't know what your opinion is of this, but it's really regained a lot of hope for smaller counties, like you said, the counties that maybe would be considered tier two counties. They have a bit of belief and that they're actually playing for something that is tangible and there, whereas when they are in the all Ireland series, you know, even if they are successful at the early stages, the worry is that the, the season's just going to fizzle out once they meet the big guns, but that's not the case with the Talton Cup is it? No not anymore and definitely not from next year um, for, for a lot of counties kind of operating possibly in Division 3 and Division 4 you're, you're looking at your summer kind of ending in, in, in June time at the very best um, but from, from next year on all counties in San Maguire or the Talton Cup will have at least four competitive games which is which is going to be huge and that, like you said it will, it'll help for there to, to build the appetite and for people not, not to run out of breath and to, to have a bit of longevity in the season rather than having a, a one game in a provincial getting knocked out and then into the qualifiers and getting knocked out there um, that's, it's a good change in format I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to have a, a positive impact in Gaelic football in, in the tier 2 counties for sure and the Joe McDonough Cup is probably its counterpart when it comes to hurling in terms of the, the second tier of sides taking part in a competition like that I think that's also been a trophy that's been hugely successful but the one complaint about that from hurling supporters of those smaller counties is that there's not as much media coverage as that has been given to the Talsha Cup how important has that media coverage been so that's got off to a good start 
it's been fantastic that there's been games covered live, the semi-finals covered live on RTE. What might be good for, for next season would be one of the things that you'd be hoping might improve would be more media coverage, not behind the paywall. Um, some of the earlier round games where, where pay only weren't free to air, that could be a massive thing to, to try and help and improve the improve the promotion of the Talton Cup next year. Um, by by no absolutely guaranteed it's it's had a big role to play in it being a success this year. The fact that it's been front and centre for some people to watch. A lot of the Joe McDonough activity has been behind closed doors or not behind closed doors, but not not free to air, not not visible for for the the neutral like myself to actually go and watch or to to watch live at home if I can. And the semi-finals themselves, Frank, they were two great games, it must be said, but there was an element of, lo- just looking at it from from my own perspective on the TV, that was a bit of a flat uh, atmosphere because it was in Crow Park and a lot of the seats were empty. Do you think the semi-final, which is where a lot of people probably begin to tune in, whether we like it or not, there to really focus in on it, because like you said, it was on RT and you could watch the games um, very easily on terrestrial television. Do you think those semi-finals maybe should be moved to a smaller ground moving forward, where you can pack people into maybe, I don't know, a Turles Parky Cueve, where you're going to get 30,000, 40,000 people in a rapturous atmosphere, rather than what we've seen in Crow Park on that day? I think for the semi-finals, it was 16,000 16, odd um, in attendance for a double-header, um, which which is good for for a competition in its infancy uh, in some ways, but uh, I, I don't disagree with the fact that uh, provincial ground might be more suitable when you when you think of it strictly from the from the from the attendance perspective. Um, but I suppose from a player's perspective, or from someone getting the opportunity to play in Crow Park, uh, for players from from Sligo outside of the league or getting to a league final, that might be their only opportunity to play in Crow Park. So so from that perspective, it's a kind of a catch twenty two. Do you want to create this? kind of cauldron-like atmosphere in a provincial ground or do you want players to be given the opportunity to play in the hallowed turf of Crow Park um, that's, it's, kind of, it's kind of a tricky one a kind of a tricky balance to get yeah, it certainly is. I think it's fair to say that that is a tough question uh, for the, the powers that be to answer. And just re- with regards to, you mentioned it a couple of times, the format of the competition is changing next year. Do you think that had to be implemented so that the, the competition is sustainable moving forward? And I think if if teams are to try and improve or if there's to be scope for improvement, teams need to be playing competitive games. And the fact that this is going to a group structure kind of similar to what the league is like, but on, on a smaller on a smaller basis, it's going to help teams improve playing competitive games. And um, so I think that that will help with the sustainability. It'll make a competitive view of teams getting into the Sam Maguire co- Trophy thereafter. Um, I think that that was a good move. I think that the regional competition was was. That was that took place this year for the North and South divide was 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 fine, but I think that this kind of open national competition next year will is more appealing. And one competition that was mentioned a lot in the build up to the Talton Cup, of course, was the Tommy Murphy Cup, um, which eventually fizzled out and is obviously no longer in existence. Why do you think the Talton Cup is different, and why do you see it being more viable than what the Tommy Murphy Cup was? It's a it's that's a tricky question. Um, Sean Kelly would have been delighted to to see the well. He obviously was uh, front and centre in getting the Tommy Murphy Cup off the ground. It ran out of steam. Why did it run out of steam? It's probably a little bit before my vintage to to, to give you to give you a, a clear answer on that. Um, I wish I had the, the benefit of a time machine, but um, I I couldn't tell you straight off the bat. And moving on then to what do you think are the main items that need to be looked at in terms of refining the competition itself going forward? 
Well, I think that the restructure is a good thing, um, definitely. So the, the group structure in 2023 will be will be good. Um, I think that the improvement in the broadcasting and the streaming options even to improve the audience and the exposure. Um, and maybe further down the line, we probably won't know until after maybe the 2023 and 2024 runnings of the competition is as to whether or not there's a requirement for another tier. In hurling, you have uh, the Liam McCarthy, you've got Joe McDonough, Christy Ring, um, Nicky Rackard and Laurie Maher. So you have five tiers. Um, and in hurling, up till this year, we only had the Sam Maguire and now we have the Talton Cup. And it'll be interesting to see, based on the results of the group structure next year, whether or not there's an, a bigger gap between um, teams that are maybe in the second tier, tier and if there is a third tier in there. So that's maybe something a little bit further down the line. And finally, Frank, before I let you go, how do people keep up to date with all the great work that you're doing online? I suppose just follow the Twitter page if you want. Um, we'll, we'll be coming to the end of our useful life. I suppose we'll try and keep it uh, keep it up to date with um, with the new structures coming into the winter months and keep people abreast of, of any updates that come through. But you can find us on Twitter at the at the Talton Cup. Yeah, you certainly can. Well, Frank, we're all looking forward to the final. And as Carlo supporters, we have great memories from this year's Talton Cup. Thanks very much for talking to me today. No bother at all. Have a good one. Enjoy the games. Thanks very much. That was Frank Ryan speaking to us today on Scoreline about the first year of the Talton Cup and today's final between Cavan and Westmeath. Lots more still to come. This is Kilkenny manager now, Christy Walsh, after they just beat London. They had New York ahead of them, but they ended up winning that one. Abbottstown, London came calling and Kilkenny answered that call. It was the semi-finals, two semi-finals happening up in Dublin there yesterday. You had Warwickshire going up against New York with New York coming out the better of that and progressing to an All-Ireland final this Sunday in Crow Park. The later game, Kilkenny versus London and a huge monumentous result for all the Kilkenny footballers. Joining me now on the line is one of the mans who masterminded, maybe he might... Not like me saying he masterminded the victory, but he certainly did. Uh, Kilkenny victorious over London, and we're just absolutely buzzing in here to read that out. Joining me now, Christy Walsh, the manager of Kilkenny. Christy, how are you doing? I say you're absolutely delighted. Oh, well, Chelsea, no doubt, yeah, absolutely. It was a, it was a great match, and we, it was a great result, and you know, um, we're all looking forward to tomorrow now. The, the match in itself, uh, you stormed ahead in the, in the third quarter. You went seven points up. But by the time the clock was ticking towards the end, you were a point behind two late goals then. Just absolute kind of clinical sports. Uh, you couldn't really write it. No, no, no. Uh, we, were, we were going well at the seven points up. Yeah, yeah. Actually, the last four scores in the match were four goals, would you believe? Uh, <laughs> London got two goals to put them uh, one ahead. And... Um, then we went up and got two great goals to, to, to finish it off. Yeah, yeah, it's exciting stuff now. And like, you, you know, you're, you're, you're a Kerry man, you're coming up to Kilkenny where hurling has always been to the fore, particularly around All-Ireland season. But to be able to accomplish what you're accomplishing now at the moment, getting to Crow Park on a Sunday, how big is that for the football community within Kilkenny? It's just massive for the for the the boys who are involved. Like uh, it, it's great. It's it's mighty altogether. And then to be to be playing before such an iconic game as Kerry in Dublin, you know, which is probably the biggest game in 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 the GA, 
any year or every year whenever they play. So uh, yeah, that, that that's marvelous too. So hopefully we'll do ourselves justice and uh, and then put it and have a good performance. You know that that's important. And if we win, then it'll be even better. And you talk about the, the the players. Obviously, Paul Murphy stands out, former intercounty star with uh, Kilkenny. You had Kieran Wallace there, Aaron's own Kieran Wallace, also former intercounty star with Kilkenny hurling. Like how to have guys that have played at that level before. How integral are they to the setup? Look, they all they all play hurling, Shane. Yeah. For and if you go through the team, a lot of them are senior hurlers, and they played in in. in County finals at whatever level was just junior, senior, intermediate. They played for Kilkenny minors from the 21s, and a few of them are looking up to play at senior, like Paul Murphy, like you mentioned. So a lot of them have played at, at a high level. Now it, it hasn't been in football, but uh, Mullinbeck guys, who we've uh, a lot on the team, have reached the Linster Club final there a couple of years ago, and and you know the the. We're hoping to that experience of the hurling and the football the, and. Uh, Croke Park will stand to us that it won't it won't over, you know won't be overawed by the whole thing. Kilkenny teams aren't usually overawed by Croke Park anyway, um, Shane. So we're hoping tomorrow will be the same. And, and speaking of lads who were kind of used to it as well, you have a huge amount in your starting team on Friday from Monlevat. Obviously, they're the county champions and they've won it. What I think six five times out of the last six years, I believe. I know they were stopped on the on the course to five in a row. Uh, having the players from the county winning team like how used are, are, are they to being at this level now well I suppose when you have a, a lot of them from the one club they know they know each other's uh, method of play and they know each other's uh, idiosyncrasies I suppose our goal is to the vat. he knows you know the guys kicking out who to kick out the ball to and, and what everybody does at different at different occasions so uh, it, it's a big help it's a big help of course having a a lot of players from the, you know, have the one, a lot of players from the one team, and they're a successful team in themselves. So uh, it does help, of course. Yeah. And how much preparation we had to go into the game against London as well, considering, like, it's a very quick turnaround, only two days, and uh, not even forty-eight hours between the two games. So how much preparation did you have to put in beforehand to make sure players are prim and proper for potentially playing two games and ultimately playing two games? Look, Shane, they're all they're all playing for hurling, like three, probably two or three evenings a week anyway. And we play we trained in the football Monday night. They're probably playing hurling Sunday and Tuesday, and probably the following Friday. So we have played a few challenge games on Thursday evenings as well. And you know that's as much as you can do. You can't kill them all together, like because you know the the, the hurling is starting in three weeks' time. The club hurling, and that's very important for them as well. And and they have obligations to their hurling clubs as well. So. I, Look, it's not easy, but look, uh, they're very committed and, and they're dedicated to it. With the, but it has been just for the last two months, right? We're not at this since, since, since the 1st of January, like this started around the, the end of April. So, but, but they have been very committed and dedicated since, and we've had a great turnout. And, you know, it, it, look, it has been very enjoyable, and, and they've, all, they've all bought into it. And, and uh, hopefully, just one more day now, and then that'll be it. One more there, like let let me quote there for you, <laughs> Christy. Um, New York, your opponents now. Did you happen to see them against Warwickshire? It was a low-scoring game, considering how high-scoring yours was. It was. It was a comfortable win for them. There's no doubt. And uh, you know, we've had various. Uh, they're a good team. You know, they, they 
they have played, or some of their, they got a delegation there during the week. There, there's eight or nine of their players who played in the uh, Scottish, uh, the Scottish, sorry, the Common Championship, and played in the Talisman Cup there about five, four or five weeks ago against Offaly. Yeah. Uh, five of them guys stayed last night, and look, we're, the rumor is that they're saving up four more for tomorrow. So, then, I suppose if you take it, they've had they flew over from from. New York on Tuesday and that was your jet lag and all that but there'll be a, a lot fresher than some of our guys now tomorrow I'd imagine some of them anyway yeah um, like do you get to I know you're talking about their participating in the Charleston Cup and we know London was playing Carlo maybe different players as well because they're just having to be uh, 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 English born players that you were playing but do you get to like kind of go through their tactics a bit or anything like that or is it just go out there and play your own game well, you have to, I suppose, you have to be cognizant of what they're doing and what they do in the kickouts and, and, and the defensive structure and do they all come back, you know, all this stuff, uh, transitioning up the field and how many they keep up the power line. And you have to be aware of that. Yeah, yeah. You have, like, the day is just kicking out home for the best are, are well over. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned it there, so I may ask you, the Chalchen Cup in itself, um, you know, it's in its infancy, it's in its first year, the format's going to be changing. But for teams like Carlo, which we obviously cover Carlo as well, it's, it generated a great buzz. And, uh, you know, it was a very disappointing league campaign for them in Division 4, but the Chalchen Cup seemed to kind of reinvigorate everything. What are your thoughts on that in, in, in general? And, like, would you expect to see Kilkenny in a few years being participating in it? Well, I just had to watch the Passion Cup final there uh, with the last hour and uh, Westmeter after winning it there, Shane. Um, it was a great match, too, very, uh, you know, attacking minded match. Uh, will Kilkenny be playing it for the next couple of years? I don't think there's any plans at the moment for, the, for them anyway. They, you know, Kilkenny haven't played, uh, put out a county team. The, last night was our first, Kilkenny's first game in, I suppose, three years. Yeah. Of any description, you know, they, they don't uh, they don't put out um, a minor team or under twenties or anything like that. So you'd you'd need that really the whole time to 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 to, to have a a competitive adult team. You you need to be coming through the whole time. You need to be playing more. Like obviously they're not. There's not enough being played. Or or it's not really on anybody's agenda. I don't think at the moment. Maybe it will in the future and. Last night won't do any harm, but uh, you know more people know about Kilkenny football this evening than they did about than they did yesterday evening in Kilkenny, and hopefully by tomorrow evening, if they do well, that will increase again. But you know, uh, will Kilkenny play? Uh, I, I, I couldn't tell. You. I can't see it at the moment anyway. Yeah, cause I, I played in St. Kieran's College and they were obviously quite successful when it came to Leinster championships and stuff in football, but obviously. The hurl gets picked up then at a certain stage of the year. It's great to see the the the, the focus being put on football, and we we, we love when we get to talk to lads. That the Mullen of that Thomastown final was a was a great final that we got to kind of look at and do a bit of coverage on as well. So it's brilliant to see Kilkenny getting to this stage and. Hopefully, there's going to be continued success on it and a lot more focus on it. Uh, there's been calls to have you included in a possible homecoming as well, but. Some people saying the other 20 hurlers. Would that be something that you'd be open to, Christy? Uh, it didn't something I put a whole lot of uh, thought to, to be honest. <laughs> uh, this time yesterday, we were going playing a match, so, uh, and we were hoping for the best, and we're still hoping for the best, and we'll worry about coming home then after. Uh, 
And uh, you're a Kerry man. Will you, you're a Kerry man. Will you be sticking around for the game tomorrow against Dublin? I, I probably will, then, Shane. Yes, I will indeed. Yeah, yeah. So you could be celebrating on uh, two occasions. Uh, just before I let you go, Christy, uh, Galway and Derry, they're meeting at half five. Galway coming off a, a tough penalty shootout win. Who do you expect to come out of better at that one? I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Derry won. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if Derry won. They're, they're uh, battle hardened after three or four tough games in, in Ulster, and uh, they got an easy enough draw then against Clare, wasn't it? And um, I wouldn't be surprised if they won. They're, they're, they have a great way about them, and they have forwards, and you know they're a good team. They're a good all-round team. They don't depend on anybody. You know they, 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 they can all do their bit. That's what they want in any team, really, until everyone does their can do their do their fair. Well, hopefully you'll be able to do your bit in Crow Park tomorrow. We'll be following along all the action here in KCLR. But Christy, best of luck. We wish you nothing but the best of success. And it's great that we have two All-Ireland finals to look forward to now. So to you and all the players, everyone here at KCLR, you have the county behind you uh, firmly and strongly. And thanks for taking the call, sir. No about it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yes, Kilkenny going out to Crow Park tomorrow. What a huge occasion it is for those footballers. We mentioned some of the players that are involved and we were talking about it earlier from 2 o'clock, but just what a massive achievement it is or could be if they happen to come away with an All-Ireland victory. Are you going to the game? Let us know. 083-306-9696. TheDinnersReady.ie. Contact... Tremendous result there for the Kilkenny footballers. They ended up getting a resounding victory over New York in Crow Park on Sunday. Joe Sheehan now looks at all things greyhound racing. What a cracking weekend of action we have to look forward to in Kilkenny Greyhound Stadium with the big one. And we've been talking this up for a long, long time. The €20,000 prize money, John Mitchell and Kilkenny Greyhound Owners and Breeders Association Festival of Racing. And we've been looking forward to this for a long, long time. So let's get straight down to the action. We have two open class races with the cream of the crop. Some of the best greyhounds in the country descending on Kilkenny Greyhound Stadium this Sunday. And we also have four finals to look forward to the action gets underway at 7.30pm that's tomorrow Sunday 20,000 euro prize money on offer for the John Mitchell and Kilkenny Coba Festival of Racing and so many top class grounds in action here in our local track we'll also have the fundraiser for the local coursing clubs from Kilkenny and Carlow with auctions happening, raffles and door prizes, lots happening folks. So get on out to Kilkenny Greyhound Stadium tomorrow. As we said, two open class races and we also have the likes of Zoom to look forward to in action. He's been a tremendous ground for all connections. Of course, the Club of Champions Syndicate led by Gavin O'Mahony and trained by the maestro Mert Lahey. Zoom has been a tremendous servant and will go off short price favourite for our seventh race more than likely but he won't have it all his own way with the likes of Bourne Warrior for Jennifer O'Donnell travelling from Killinall eight runs seven wins so that'll be a cracking race to look forward to 1000 euro for the winner of that one we also have four finals to look forward to in our Kilkenny Coba and John Mitchell Festival of Racing we have 
a novice vinyl, an A1, an A2 and an A3. So let's take you through some of those finals to look forward to. In the, in the John Mitchell Bookmaker and Kilkenny Goban Novice 525 final, we have some cracking young greyhounds here. The Johnny Linehan trained Footfield Siren won last week in 28.82 and only its second ever start. Looks a real nice prospect, this Footfield Siren, of course. A daughter of the wonderful Droopy Sydney, who is throwing the best of the greyhounds at the moment, winning classics and sweepstakes galore. So Footfield Siren looks to be a very, very nice prospect in that one. Elsewhere in the same race, Bullrun Beeson runs from Trap 1. Won in 28.94 last week for connections and a very very nice prospect indeed so that is a cracking final to look forward to we also have some action over the 725 staying distance and that also produces some top class racing when we see the stamina greyhounds going over the trip so plenty to look forward to there we also have the a3525 final in race five where the other ollie for the aforementioned jennifer o'donnell who won last week in 2886 the clock here very very nice performance only it's fourth ever start this young ground the other ollie looks a very nice prospect and will go off a short price favorite for that one up against the likes of thomas lahey's vicar hills boy and avangate and yeah in trap three in that one the other ollie looks to be set to take the glory in the a3 john mitchell bookmaker in kilkenny goba 525 final in the a1 final takes place in race six immediately after that one we're here, Leary, for the Club of Champions Syndicate and trained in Carlow by Thomas Buggy. He won last week in 28.54. Phenomenal run. Showed massive staying power here, Leary, and he will perhaps be favoured for this one. But it's a cracking race with the likes of Giddy Up Gonzo for the Creamers Dreamer Syndicate and trained by Pat Kiley. He won last week in 28.70. And also Connemara, who is trained by Tim O'Hoe trainer Carl Ramsbottom he was a phenomenal greyhound in his early days won in 28-29 in one of his early starts in Tralee Greyhound Stadium he's a very very nice greyhound indeed this Connemara and will put it up to the likes of Hare Larry and Gideon Gonzo in the A1 final so another cracking race to look forward to as we said we have two open class races to look forward to and last but not least the A2 final on our 10 race card where who the best who won in 28.85 last week may very well go a favour another ground trained by Thomas Buggy has a lot to do up against the likes of Nocturna Kilt and Black Summer and this is a very very competitive race 1400 euro to the winner of this one so that's taking you through the card for tomorrow's 20,000 euro festival of racing is the big one folks get on out to Kilkenny Greyhound Stadium as we said lots of fundraisers happening over the last coming weeks massive crowds attending at Kilkenny Greyhound Stadium we had three castles GAA fundraiser recently and the Young Ireland's GA fundraiser lots of fundraisers happening and very very successful nights great to see such magnificent action at our local track and fantastic crowds coming through the door so get on out to Kilkenny Graham Stadium tomorrow for the 20,000 euro festival of racing elsewhere tonight in Shelburne Park we have the Shelburne Champion 550 final and we have a strong local connection here with Droopy's Nice One running from the stripes of Trap 6 owned by John Coleman and trained by Mert Lahey. She won last week in 28.32. A very, very nice performance indeed. And Droopy's Nice One has been a wonderful servant to connection. 16 races and 8 wins so far. 50% strike rate. Phenomenal. And she has a massive chance. So best of luck to Mert Lahey and all his team and all connections with Droopy's Nice One tonight. 
in Shelburne Park. There's been so much happening over the last couple of weeks and months and local connections winning the Sporting Press, Irish Oaks and of course local dogs doing so well over in Toaster in the English Greyhound Derby. Really, really fantastic to see. It's a golden era for Kilkenny and Carlow Greyhounds and long may it continue. Last night we had a cracking card in Kilkenny Greyhound Stadium as well and 11 race cards, some really, really nice performances there as well as we build up to tomorrow's Festival of Racing. 20,000 euros as we said prize money on offer John Mitchell and Kilkenny Goba kick off at 7.30pm first race and we are looking forward to seeing you all in Kilkenny Greyhound Stadium tomorrow night for the big one get on out there folks see you there On to soccer. The Sunday Independence Mark Ty gives an update on the inner workings of former FAI Chief Executive John Delaney Welcome back to Scoreline. It is myself, Shane O'Keefe, here until 6 o'clock. Now, I'm delighted to be joined on the line by a man that I interviewed, I think, over a year ago now at this stage. He is the co-author of Champagne Football, the John Delaney story, and he has a new role with the Sunday Independent. Mark, Thai, how are you doing, sir? I'm delighted to join you, Shane. I'm doing great. Thanks. It's a pleasure again to speak to you. Our last interview did tremendous numbers when we put it up online afterwards, and I'd love to delve into that in just a bit. But the news that I just mentioned, a Sunday Independent news reporter now, how has that been going for you? You've only been in the role not even a month, I believe, at this stage. Yeah, no, I've just done two weeks um, since I moved from the Sunday Times. I had uh, 16 great years there, but um, Alan English, the, the editor of the Sunday Independent, who former sports editor in the um, Sunday Times a long time ago and uh, editor of the Limerick Leader. Uh, he's taken over the Sunday Independence, you know, and he's trying to beef up the news section. He also has an interest, in, obviously a big interest in sports. He's written books, you know, about, um, you know, Brian O'Driscoll and Munster Rugby. So, you know, it just, I, I just felt it was a great, great time for me to try something new. And with his interest in both news and sport, it kind of ticks a lot of my boxes and into where my interests cross over as well. So, I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, my first two weeks. It's uh, it's, a, it's a company that not, that's the Independence now owned by Media House. It's a Belgian-owned company, so I'm, it's it's a very interesting development for me going from Sunday Times, which is um, owned by Rupert Murdoch's company, ultimately to a you know well-established Irish newspaper now owned by a Belgian company. So yeah, it's a, it's a lot to take in, and it's an exciting development for me. Yeah, and there's certainly not a shortage of news for you to delve into, particularly in the real world, as I like to call it. But in the sporting world, a lot of developments have happened and a lot of developments have happened in the story that you were kind of championing for a long time. Of course, Champagne Football, the John Delaney story. Many people have read the book. I've read it for the second time when I was on holidays last October. Uh, We've all watched the... The, the video kind of evidence that was put forward by it but there's been developments in this story since yeah so like uh, a lot of people like me casually who are casually kind of following the story think you know well, it's done and dusted now you know Delaney's moved to London he's working as a consultant over there on various sporting business matters and that's it you know but no there's been um, like since March 2019 when we first broke the story um that there's been a Garda Office of Director of Corporate Enforcement um, investigation. So that's Ireland's corporate watchdog, Dave Gardy, on to comment. Um, but what's kind of held up that uh, very wide-ranging investigation is that they went in in February 2020 into Abbottstown, the FAI headquarters, and seized um, over a quarter of a million of John Delaney's emails along with some hard copy records. And since then, basically, Delaney with his, um, his legal team has fought a kind of 
protracted legal battle through the High Court before Judge Leone Reynolds, and he's claiming legal privilege, basically saying, look, a lot of these records, it's come down to 1,123 emails and a couple of hard copy records. He's saying these emails and records, they're either legal advice or their litigation privilege, which means there's ongoing litigation. And this is something the the Office of Director Corporate Enforcement lawyers are saying that can't be true. You know, a lot of these cases they're clearly finished. You know, they're they're relating to business matters. You you forward them on to to people who are not lawyers, so you can't claim privilege and you know unless they're a direct legal advice contained in them, or you're not even the client, you know, because you're no longer part of the FAI and the, the lawyers involved were you know, FAI lawyers or lawyers hired by the FAI. So that's that's coming to a culmination now in the next few weeks. So you haven't had access to any of these emails as of yet, is it? No, but what we what we've in the in the Sunday Independent in my first week we broke the story. We got access to the spreadsheet that was put before the, the Judge Reynolds in May, and what that's given us for the first time is kind of the first kind of metadata, um, so the judge can decide, you know, um, on it, and, and and that's kind of the spreadsheet on on the one thousand odd emails from Delaney has given details on who the emails were sent to what they were about and why he's claiming privilege. And from that, we were able to see that there was emails sent to, a lot of them were to uh, Rhea Walsh, who was the FBI's uh, in-house solicitor, or Carl Heffernan, who was their former commercial director. But um, it, if you read the emails, it's clear that both Rhea Walsh and Carl Heffernan were helping, according to John Delaney, were working on his personal business and divorce case. Uh, and he's claiming privilege over those records, uh, which is kind of remarkable to see the two kind of high-powered FBI executives we're spending some some amount of their time working on Delaney's personal business ventures or his divorce case, or in one case, you know, the purchase of a house, a one million euro house in Ockram and Wicklow. Um, other emails we were able to see, you know, were sent to Terry Prone, the well-known uh, public relations advisor. There was emails sent to John Delaney's sister Jane and his former fiance Emma, Emma English. And again, this, the ODE is saying, look, if you're sending these emails to clear, people who are clearly not lawyers. The, the, the claim of privilege has to fall because, you know, the only thing that's covered by privilege if it's legal advice from a from a, um, a lawyer to their client. And, you know, if you're sending your, the correspondence to a third party, then that privilege claim falls. So that's something, a submission that the ODC has made and which Judge Reynolds will have to come back on and make a ruling on in the next couple of weeks. It sounds like, from what you're describing, this could be just as damaging, not that the damage is already done, but it can further damage the the reputation of John Delaney and his time within the FAI. Well, John Delaney has said in his affidavit that he wants this done as quickly as possible. Um, Now, John Delaney, as I said, he's working in London. uh, His company is called Delay Limited. Which you know it could be taken from his name, Delaney. <laughs> so you know some people are raising a hyper going delay, considering what's going on in the Irish High Court for the last two and a half years. It's kind of a maybe a bit of a bit of an inside joke. Um, he said he wants it done quickly as possible, but he could waive privilege and he could say to the ODC, "Yeah, look, read my emails. I've nothing to hide here." But no, he's saying I'm claiming privilege and I'm going to uphold that privilege. And he's fought, you know, as he's entitled to do legally. He's fought this, you know, every kind of step of the way. Um, there's clearly stuff in there that he doesn't want the guardy, the investigators, the ODC to see. There, we can see a lot of the documentation relates to his personal business transactions and company called JNPHE, which did a lot of development work in Caracol and Tipperary and in other places in Tipperary. And then a related company called Pillarview, which I know from my own investigations, and um, the guardy have been asking people about this. And that company 
Um, it was used to refinance some of this development company's debt. We know that it had links then with money coming from Dennis O'Brien. He gave a personal, the billionaire gave a personal loan to Delaney, and some of that money went to, to Pillarview. And then some of the, when Delaney went to repay the money, it came from Pillarview. Now, why this is of interest to the Gardaí is because um, Delaney had no, uh, on the company records, Delaney had no connection with Pillarview. It was set up by two of his friends who were directors and co owners. Um, the shareholders, Delaney had no um, official ties to it, yet he was able to direct, it seems, which money went in and which money went out. And some of the money actually came from the FAI, um, A&L Goodbody, who were the FAI solicitors, when Delaney would win a libel case. On one occasion, Delaney instructed that the settlement money, amounting to a six-figure sum, went from um, A&L Goodbody, who were the FAI solicitors, into a company called Pillarview. Again, why is that money going to a company which Delaney has no official ties to? And you know, this is all um, of interest to the Gardaí because the company law says that you know the FAI is a company; their assets have to be managed properly. And this, the suspicion is that this wasn't done, and so that's why they want to get their hands on these records. They said, you know, there's suspicion of crime and fraud happening here, and you know the, the court is, is considering that submission. Now, obviously, Delaney has at all. At all times, denied that he's done anything wrong. He is maintaining, you know, that this is, you know, that he ran the place and to the best interest of the FAI. But you know, the, the guard investigation has always emphasised this is a serious criminal investigation, and we need these emails to further our investigation. And without kind of the speculation, then it sounds like the ramifications of this investigation, if it indeed has found uh, foul play in the end, it could have huge ramifications with John Delaney. He might suffer more repercussions than he did so after the, the release, say, of Champagne Football. Well, the repercussions Delaney has suffered, I suppose, have been reputational only to date, you know. Um, we know, like, he was, he's been working as a consultant, um, you know, with Irish-linked companies uh, based in the UK. He was, um, at one stage, assisting an Irish uh, cycling team, professional cycling team, Evo Pro, trying to help raise funds. Uh, we know he was working for a, a, a services company with um, Hanevo, who are a big Irish interest, and in, also based just outside of London. There's been no kind of uh, formal ramifications for him. Like, we know the FAI have set aside 3.5 million euro to repay... Um, vast and other taxes that were, were improperly not paid during the John Delaney era. But personally, he hasn't suffered, you know, any, any formal rebukes, you know, in terms of what, what his actions during that era, you know, when, when so much was clearly uh, amiss at the FAI. What he could face, you know, the ODC can take a criminal uh, prosecution. They can, you know, and that's kind of at the top end where he could face a trial for, for various different things to do with um you know, misappropriation of money or, you know, improper use of companies. Um, at the lower end of the scale, I suppose they could seek to have him limited as a director um, in, in Ireland. Um, so th- there is a scale of different things that could possibly happen to him as a result of this uh, FAI of the ODC investigation. And of course, you know, the ODC might conclude that there's, you know, it, it goes to the DPP and there might be no prosecution or no ramifications out of the end of this. But, you know, it's very much something that the ODC, they want to get their hands on as much evidence as possible before they decide on what the next steps are. From our last conversation, Mark, um, it it seemed to almost rustle a few feathers and it it was kind of, I wouldn't say shocking or anything like that, but because we knew that that there was a lot of support still for Delaney, but in particular, I I spent a lot of time down in Waterford recently, in particular when I was talking about this interview uh, that we've 
had previously. The support in certain sections seems about 50-50 from just meeting people and talking about them. Now, I know there's certain clubs that have benefited from John Delaney's involvement in the FAI. Have you yourself experienced continued pushback on your quest for the, the truth or are you getting a bit more kind of people that are on your side? Well, I think people who followed it in detail know that there's a lot of stuff that happened on the John Delaney that was improper. Um, maybe those then that's benefited from, you know, the FAIs and Delaney's large S um, at the FAI and continue to do so. Um, or, you know, a lot of them have remained loyal. And, you know, look, the, the, John Delaney's been charged with nothing to date. And I can understand, you know, people saying, look, the, you know, he's, he's a completely innocent man. So I, I, I've, I've no qualms. I've no issues with people, you know, who, who would still defend John Delaney. I happily talk to him and explain some of the things that I've discovered and that we've published you know, either you know, at Sunday Times, Sunday Independent, or in, in Champagne Football. Um, but like, it, it's interesting. Like, the, like I, I've talked to some people in clubs, and like John Delaney is still helping people in Irish football in, in a way to the detriment of the FAI. Like we, like one of John Delaney's things was, you know, he'd go to clubs and make the, the, the personal visits, and you know, the, um, he might commit five thousand, or you know, that would be approved for the FAI. Next thing, John Delaney would commit maybe twenty thousand or thirty thousand. And the FBI, you know, would have to honour that money. When the new uh, leadership came in, they reviewed a lot of these commitments, and you know, there was no paperwork backing up a lot of it. And they wrote to the club saying, "Look, I'm sorry, there's no, um, there's no paperwork backing up these commitments you're telling you have from John Delaney, so we're, we're not going to pay them." And what a lot of the clubs then did is they contacted John Delaney. This is only in the last year or so that's happened. And John Delaney would have wrote back to them in kind of official letter saying, "Look, as CEO, I made that." Um, I made that uh, determination that the FAI would pay that money. I think the FAI should honour it. And that's put the, the FAI under, you know, Jonathan Hill and, um, um, sorry, yeah, sorry, the chairman's name. Roy Barrett. Roy Barrett, sorry, yes. That, that's put them over a barrel. Saying, well, look, here we have the CEO, who, who was the CEO, uh, the former CEO, um, you know, saying that this was properly determined, put it in writing, and legally it, it put them in a bad place. And basically made them kind of honour these commitments, which the FBI really cannot afford. And is it any wonder then that these people are still loyal to John, you know, that, you know, they're still kind of benefiting from his largesse, but obviously, which he doesn't have to pay, but the, his former employer, which he, he bears a lot of enmity to, um, has to honour his commitments, you know, which which buys him uh, th- their personal loyalty. So it's a kind of a crazy situation, but, you know, just it's, it's sort of how, how a lot of, Irish politics or Irish sport works, you know. And then speaking of Irish sport and speaking about Roy Barron and the current FAI structure, how have they been able to deal with the aftermath of, of John Delaney's reign? Have you delved much into that side of things or are you just still kind of focused on, on what was done during John Delaney's reign? No, no, no. Like, like the, the FAI is an ongoing story and like we're, we're I'm picking... I'd say take the still same forensic approach to you know dealing with the FAI now as what it would have under the previous regimes. There's been a lot of changes, obviously. Um, there's a lot more oversight of the FAI. Like we we broke I broke the story in my former newspaper, you know, about Jonathan Hill um, refusing to move to Ireland, you know, and um, still being based in the UK and traveling over here for the week and going back home at the weekend. Something that you know we wrote um, has displeased a large number of people in Irish football. Um, and, you know, upset some of the board members as well. And, you know, that's still a hot topic 
know, because people are questioning, you know, what's his long-term commitment to Irish football? You know, would the English FA abide with the you know, an Irishman, a CEO, if he was living in Galway or Dublin, you know, and I do think it is something that the, the, the FAI board and Hill, you know, are have to going to grapple with because there's there's so many problems uh, at the grassroots of Irish football and the structures of Irish football. Really boring stuff and a lot of you know to talk about maybe you know the, the diff- all the different leagues that exist, you know, only in Dublin or around the country where there's so much overlapping of uh, and there's so many different vested interests. Um, you know that that and that needs to be tackled. Uh, you can see the, the problems with the under 14s at the moment, and um, you know the League of Ireland underage teams. You know that's a big problem. That you know there's still issues with that that has to be grappled with, and it, it requires someone that gets into the, the, the real nitty gritty of Irish football. So look, you can see that the, the financial results came out last weekend. They're in a better situation financially. Like in the short term, things improved, but a lot of that is masked by the fact they got it. Um, you know, over 20 million euro over the last two years in COVID support funds. That won't that won't happen at all this year. Um, they've also had interest-free loans um, to cover their Aviva to, uh, money of 2.6 million a year. That ends this year. So that's going to mask some of the, the hangover from the Delaney era. Um, so the the FBI is, will be grappling with the kind of the legacy of Delaney for for decades to come. Um, but they, they the current regime have their own. They've recruited a lot of new people and they still haven't got. A sponsor for the, the men's team, which is just you know astounding. I know things are tough with COVID, and they do have a new commercial person coming in, and in the last few weeks, so like the, there's there's a lot of headaches that the that Jonathan Hill and Roy Barish and the rest of the the kind of board and leadership team have to grapple with there. Some of them, you know, are hangover from the the Laney era. Some of them are you know stuff that just you know uh, fundamental kind of organisational things that that has to be addressed. You know that that have been let go for for decades. You know we can't blame. On, the, on Delaney, but you know the, the, the new FAI can have to deal with. Mark, I would love to talk to you all day. Uh, just even on the on the live tour, I, I know you've been quite vocal about that and just sports washing in general. And we certainly could. I'm aware that I'm taking up a lot of your time, so thanks very much for taking the call. We're really interested in following along the story in the Sunday Independent. Once again, congratulations on the move over there. We're looking forward to reading your story every weekend. Uh, but once again, from all of us here at Scoreline, thanks very much, sir. Yeah, appreciate. It. Really enjoy that. Talk to you again. That's Mark Thai, ladies and gentlemen. Stick around on Scoreline. Lots more still to come. Back to GEA now for Owen Roach of the GEA performance process. Owen Roach from the GEA performance process who analyse the performance problem and find a coaching solution at all levels of Hurland and Camogie. Thanks very much for joining me today, Owen. No problem. I suppose the first question that I pose to you, Owen, is what is the GEA performance process? Um, It's an idea that started off by by myself and a friend of mine, both of us are primarily coaches uh, who have got into performance analysis in the last two to three years and kind of kind of filling that circle of bringing uh, performance analysis to coaching and making a kind of a holistic look at games and how to approach it and how to analyse it, basically. And what is performance analysis for maybe people that wouldn't be used to the term? Is there a kind of a, a clear definition of that? I should know the definition of it, but I, <laughs> I, 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 I don't. But uh, for me, it's it's looking at a game and performance analysis can be, it's all down to what you want to get out of it. 
and yeah. what you see from it. Um, like there's fancy terms like operational definitions and KPIs and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, if you want to look at your walk rate and your tackles and your rope ball and stuff like that, that's what you analyze. If you want to look at your puck outs or your shot efficiency and stuff like that, that's what you look at. You kind of um, tailor it around what kind of players you have. Um, and what you're looking at, independent if you're looking at it from an opposition point of view or you're looking at it from your own performance point of view. And I know that you deliver um, coaching plans as well. What type of coaching plans do you deliver? We kind of, the, the stuff we use is from Tactical Pad. It's, kind of, it's a soccer-based um, platform uh, software that we've adapted to Harlan. We've got um, a couple of templates that we use and we kind of look at it as a game-based process where we look at the problem or look at what we're trying to do in a game and we build the exercise or people use drills as a dirty word today but drills still has to be used and we look at that and we're trying to develop it into the game we're trying to play or the actual what we're trying to do if it's an inside ball how we want to deliver it where we want to deliver it from and where we want it to land and the inside runs we're trying to connect the back of the game your how your backs play and your middle third player with your forwards. So it's kind of looking at everything in a full picture as just not looking at your forwards doing a specific thing, but what your backs do and what your middle third players do, connecting that to what your forwards do, so you kind of get a more rounded game. When you're coming up with training routines and coaching plans um, for teams, do, do you individualise that, I suppose, for want of a better term, to the club? So say if they were um, more of a direct sort of style of play, straight out from the full-back line into the full-forward line, and then you compare that with a, with a side that wants to play short passing, would you would you just um, ask them what style of play they have and then adapt your, your plans to that sense? Or, or do you discuss with them the best style of hurling in the modern era? No, it, it is down to what players you have. You can't play, if you don't have the players to play a running game that can't carry the ball out, you can't play a running game. If you don't have the inside forwards to win direct ball, you can't play a direct ball game. So you have to mould it around the individuals you have and take a look at what what suits them best. Like, we'd all like to hurl like Limerick, but unfortunately, like most teams out there don't have the hurlers that they have. So you have to play the game that suits you best. And how does your post-match analysis work and how does it differ from other post-match analysis? Um, what we do is we get a copy of the game. Um, the coaches that we talk to, they'll give us their thoughts on it and we'll, we'll obviously take that in as well, what their view is. But as we all know from watching a game live to watching a game on video, like you, you only take in a certain percentage of it watching it live so you get a more rounded version of it when you watch it on video. So we then go look at it and we will have a basic thing of where we will look at the puck outs the shots tackles and stuff like that and then we'll have obviously a coaching points button where we will uh, capture video capture stuff that we think is relevant to what's going on with the team whether it is how they play the ball out or their tackles or anything like that we'll focus on a certain point and then we'll make that into visuals by creating videos and a couple of the graphics that you see on Twitter there that ClipDraw provided us with and use that then to illustrate it to the management and to the players. And with post-match analysis like this, it's obviously very analytical, I should say, very, very detailed, like we haven't seen maybe before in a lot of other clubs or inter-county sides. Is that something that, I suppose, the the term used in sport is the extra 1%, is that about giving teams the extra 1% or is it far greater than that at this stage, that you really do need this level of detail if you're to be successful at any level? Um, 
look at the All Ireland final this weekend. Sorry, next weekend. Like Kilkenny, do the basics. You you cannot play hurling without your your intensity, your aggression, your hunger. This is to help. I don't know. I can't put a figure on it. I don't know. Is it one percent, five percent, or ten percent? I should know, but unfortunately, I don't. But it is to help with that. You have to bring all those. If you have information, you have to be able to implement it. This is providing you with information that will help you to implement a better game plan and a better style of play. But if you don't have the foundations and the groundwork, that's not going to. It's not going to happen. Yeah, I, th- I think that's fair to say. And you mentioned there a couple of times that you use software such as Naxport, ClipDraw, and Tactical Pad in your analysis. Could you explain what they are and how they actually work? Um, Naxport is a software that you use to tag games. By tagging games, you, it's basically you create a buttons template that suits what you want to do. So you can have it can be individual or it can be a whole thing. You can have every player mapped out, and there is calls category and descriptor buttons where you tag the game and you have a record and it that's basically spits you out the numbers at the end of it. It spits it out in, in an XML which you can upload onto video or it can spit out in uh, Excel where you can analyze it from there. There's also dashboards that you can create um, that uh, if you look at, let's say, Kevin Bambricks on Twitter there, there's, there's some excellent stuff. Or sorry, Tony Bambricks on Twitter. There's some excellent stuff on that where you can create a visual with your numbers uh, embedded into it. Um, and and the ClipDraw then, that is the software that provides the, the Sky Sports, kind of the drop-down lights and your circles and your stuff like that. There is a, a new software that I brought out last year called ClipDraw Motion, which does that in real time. It's not just a, a picture of the spotlight coming down or whatever your arrows this does it as the players are moving which creates a better visual which highlights the player let's say you have a player that's not tracking a runner you can highlight that highlight that from well out and you can follow that player and show it to him and it creates a better visual for the player to understand what's going on and for people that aren't sure i suppose there's a lot of talk that you hear on on certain programs and that about you know, we want to go back to the traditional way of hurling and it shouldn't be this analytical and that. But this is the sort of stuff that all inter-county teams will be looking at in great detail, isn't it? You'd imagine, I'm, I'm, I haven't been in the senior inter-county game for three or four years now, but I'd imagine they are, that's what they look at. Uh, and they're minutely analysing. I, I know Limerick definitely are. Um, not too sure of the other counties. I know from my experience with Dublin that they do look at this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it does help their game. And what are the goals of the solution-focused training sessions that you deliver? Because that was something that really caught my eye when I was researching this. It's it's to give you that extra bit. It's to make your game more rounded. It's to join up what you do in your backs to your middle third, to your midfield. It's to give you a more rounded game. If If you have an individual that is performing on his own in the backs and he's not delivering the ball to the or the type of balls you're forwards, or if you have a forward that's not making the inside runs that you want, it's giving you this kind of uh, tools to be able to make that a little bit better. Is that something that you think is really important in the modern game, Owen, the fact that it has to be very joint up, that you can't just have a set of backs, midfielders and forwards, that there has to be a whole collective from your goalie right up to your corner forward that are working in tandem so that you get the best um, kind of efficiency both offensively and defensively? I think there has to be an overall idea of what you're trying to do. Obviously, games are fractured and they take on a life of their own. And individualism has to be part of the game. But there has to be 
a ground, I think, a basic idea of what everyone's meant to do. You know, if a halfback gets a ball, what he's meant to do with it or how he's meant to do with it or the support run from the cornerback coming off his shoulder or the movement from the inside forwards happens after the first play of a puck out where people are supposed to go. And something else that I noticed on your site was SWOT analysis for upcoming games. Why why are they so crucial for people that maybe wouldn't know SWOT, of course, stands for strengths, weaknesses, um, opportunities and threats? This comes down to the opposition analysis. If you're looking at a team, you, you, you'd you like to know, um, you know, what are they good at? So you can avoid that or you can force them into doing something that they're not good at. The weaknesses make them do something that they don't want to do. If they don't want to play the ball out from the back, well, then you, you make them play the ball out from the back. Their threats, you look at their threats. So you, you, you look at your matchups. Who do you need to have man-on-man marking? And... Um, Stuff like that, so you, you you have everything you know you have everything in the in your locker, so you can um, counteract what they're trying to do. And you provide uh, so many services. I couldn't really believe it when I went on your website. It was really incredible for any any um, club side that wants to get in touch or intercounty side. It, it truly is, you know, like I said, it's it, it's unparalleled really. And something else that you do provide are videos and pitch maps. Wh- wh- why are they crucial, and how do you use them? And the videos, you can give people numbers like spreadsheets and Excels and dashboards are, are, are very good and they're important. And every player is different, like working with different teams. You know, I, I regularly get do feedback and look to see what is best for teams. Some people like the one page, some people like the Excel, but you find everybody likes um, a video, video really tells the story of what's going on in the pitch and if you can get a good example of what you're trying to illustrate that that's better than any um numbers or figures or stuff like that to reinforce a message uh the pitch maps as well that that, that's a very good visual because people can see okay this fella picked up x amount of ball on this side of the field as you can see it whether it's from the from the dots or from the heat maps or whatever or if he's taking his shots from here or puck outs are going here, you can actually visualise when I'm standing on the field, I know that this fellow is going to pick up as much ball as he can on the right-hand side of the field because I can see it from previous experience. And before I let you go today, Owen, um, how do people get in touch with you? Um, we're on Twitter. Um, there's also an email address on Twitter there that follows the link to our page. Um, just You can send us a We follow Anyone follows us, we'll follow them back. Um, and... If you send us a message through the e or through the the web page, we'll get back to you in a minutes, if not a couple of hours, and uh, we'll let you know what we provide, how we provide it, and the turnaround for that. Well, I have to say, I learned an awful lot uh, from this own, and thanks very much for joining me today, and continued success. Thanks, man. No bother. Pleasure. That was Owen Roach of the GA the scoreline extra you can tune in every Saturday and Sunday from 2 o'clock to keep up to date with all the sporting events from right on your doorstep to the other side of the world I'm Michelle O'Keefe stay safe stay sane your sound out